This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived is her in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. These last few years, I've really enjoyed this time of Advent. I think before that, I was probably, uh, I can say a bit of a Scrooge or whatever, uh, but Christmas, I, I, there's certain aspects about it I didn't enjoy, all the, 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 the shops and the tints and all those things. Um, but two things changed that, uh, and they're, they're to do with uh, two Advent calendars, which I know I've mentioned from here before, which my daughter Hannah made for me. The first one, uh, was a, a cross stitch with uh, 24 different scenes of Christmas on it and a little bag hanging over each one and in each of the bags was a chocolate and on the day of the month I would take the bag down, open the, uh, the bag and eat the chocolate and enjoy the picture uh, and I enjoyed that. Uh, but then after that Hannah made for me another advent calendar which consisted of some string, some tiny pegs and some little envelopes, and uh, when you open the envelopes, there were some little cardboard stars. It sounds boring, but they were fantastic. And on these stars were written the names of Jesus. And um, on one side was the name of Jesus, on the other side, some verses to do with that, and each day through the month, uh, enjoying the wonderful names of Jesus. And I enjoy both of those Advent calendars, and uh, particularly the names of Jesus. So actually now I start to look forward to December because I know that Advent is coming and we can start again to consider the wonderful names of Jesus. Things like Alpha and Omega. He's the first and the last. Uh, the Lamb of God, a wonderful theme in the Bible. The Lamb of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The light of the world. Uh, this world is dark and we love darkness, but the light of the world has come. What wonderful truths tied up in Jesus. The carpenter, and you may remember I preached on this beginning of last year, I think it was. The carpenter, the one who has made all things, the one who's building his church, and the one who will make all things new. The wonderful names of Jesus. And this morning I want to think about another name of Jesus. It's not appeared uh, uh, out of the packet yet, and I will look forward to it as it comes in the month. Uh, but another wonderful name of Jesus. It's already been mentioned this morning. Richard spoke about it. We've sung about it. And it's a name that appears just three times in the Bible. Twice in the Old Testament and once here in the New Testament. And here in the New Testament, we read it in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And it's wonderful, isn't it, during this Christmas time and as we approach Christmas to consider that God is with us. Emmanuel, not to be confused with Emmanuel Macron, who it seems is not uh, with us, uh, uh, but Emmanuel, God with us. But, you know, it's a name that Jesus never used of himself. It's a name which which the gospel writers didn't use of him, uh, apart from here where it's quoted from the Old Testament. And it's very much a, a title or a description. And it tells us here what it means. It means God with us. And I want to ask the question this morning, is God really with us? Is God really with us? We sing about it, we proclaim it, but is he really with us. Very often it doesn't seem like it with some of the things that are happening. But some say that, that, some say, well, no, God isn't with us because there is no God. There's others who maybe say, well, even if there is, he certainly isn't with us when we look about our world and see what's happening. And there's many people just not really sure. Is God really with us? Is God really here? Does God really care? And the message of the Bible is clear. He is with us. He is here and he does care. And what I want to do this morning is firstly go back into Isaiah chapter 7 just to see where this this quote that we so often come to at scriptures comes from and just Take a little look there because the people of God there should have known that God was with them. But Ahaz, the king, behaved as if he wasn't. So before we look at the fulfillment of this wonderful promise that God is with us, I want us to think about the context of it in the kingdom of Judah about 700 years before Jesus came. Judah was the southern part of Israel. And if you know your history of Israel, uh, uh, from the scriptures, you'll know that the, the, the kingdom divided. There was Judah down in the south where Jerusalem was, and then there was northern Israel. So the kingdom had become uh, divided some time before. And uh, in the passage that we read in Isaiah 7, we read about Ahaz, who was king of Judah, king of this southern part of it. You can read more about him in 2 Kings chapter 16. He became king at the age of 20. I imagine some of you here this morning are about the age of 20. Imagine becoming king, became king at the age of 20, and he ruled for 16 years. His father was a man called Isaiah, and uh, he was a, a good king. It says of him that he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And God blessed him, and, this, uh, and Judah threw him. He reigned for about 50 years, but he didn't finish well because he came, became proud. So his grandfather, the grandfather of Ahaz, was Uzziah, and his father was a man called Jotham. <clears throat> and uh, it says of him, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. So here's Ahaz, a godly father doing right in the sight of the Lord, a godly grandfather doing right in the sight of the Lord. But Ahaz is different. In fact, it says of him, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, when we read the scriptures, he was a bad king, probably the worst king that Judah had. There are other bad kings, but Ahaz never repented 
of what he had done. And one of the biggest trials that Ahaz was to face as king when uh, the northern part of Israel, so north Israel and Syria, uh, came to him to try and make a, an allegiance with him to stand against Assyria. And uh, that's what we read about here in these characters, Rezan and Pekah, are sort of coming to, to try and force Ahaz and Judah to make an allegiance. So rather, uh, allegiance. So rather than just the two of them, North Israel and Syria, you join us, there'll be three of us, we'll be able to stand against Assyria. But Ahaz and Judah are terrified. It tells us in verse 2 of chapter 7 that they were shaking like trees uh, because of this threat that came upon him, uh, upon them. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaking as the trees of the forest forest are shaken by the wind. And uh, what these two were trying to do was to, um, uh, they were making a plan. And uh, if, you, if, 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 if Ahaz wasn't going to agree to this, then what they were planning to do was to put someone else in as king in that land. It tells us that in verse 6. Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. So there's these threats from North Israel and uh, 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 Syria. Uh, and and the, what they want to do is to, to put their own man in there to, uh, to be king, to force them to uh, line up with them. And it's in this context that the Lord speaks to Isaiah who has been set apart to serve the Lord. And we'll hear about that tonight, I imagine, from Isaiah chapter 6, the previous chapter. And he tells, <coughs> he tells Isaiah to go to Ahaz. Uh, it goes with a message, and his message is this. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. There in verse four and then in verse five and six, he goes on and says, look, they've plotted your ruin, but it will not happen. Verse seven, it will not take place. It will not happen. Who are these people uh, that they're going to come up uh, against you? And Isaiah continues and he says to them, he says to him, he said, look, if, if, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand. There it is in verse nine at the end of that section. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So Isaiah's come with this message from God saying, look, it's not going to happen. Don't believe that. Who are these? You know, it's just a, a smoke, you know, a bit of smoke, as it were. Um, they're not going to overcome you. It won't take place. It won't happen. And if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And then Isaiah goes on and he says this, verses 10 and 11. I know it seems ridiculous going along with God in this situation, but if you ask him for a sign, he'll grant you whatever sign you ask for. Whatever you want, he'll give you a sign just to confirm it. What sign do you want? God couldn't have offered more, as it were. Couldn't have been fairer promised that he would deal with these enemies, 
and even offers to give him a sign, whatever he wants, so that it can be sure that God is saying that. But Ahaz refused. Verse 12, he says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, don't misunderstand that. It's not him being spiritual. Oh, no, I'm not going to ask the Lord for a test because he doesn't believe what God is saying and he's not willing to accept what God is offering. What he's really saying is I don't need God's help and I don't want God's help. He refused to listen. He refused to believe to believe God and he refused to trust God. But nevertheless, we read on and uh, God is generous, as it were, and gives him a sign anyway. And uh, Isaiah continues with his message. And in verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So he does it anyway. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, We're familiar with it. We know it's all about Jesus. It tells us that there in the New Testament. But it was first said to this King Ahaz. And it was a message for him which had a fulfillment in that time as well, uh, as in a fulfillment in Jesus. Because before long, a child would be born and his name would be Emmanuel And before he grows up, it tells us in verse 16, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The message is clear. God is with you. He's at work. He won't let them overcome you. So trust him. But Ahaz wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen to Isaiah and he wouldn't listen to what God was saying. So rather than trusting God, If you read on through Isaiah, he eventually made his deal with Assyria. So rather than uh, making this deal with um, uh, uh, the northern Israel and Syria, rather than joining with them to stand against Assyria, he, as it were, goes to Assyria, tells them what they're doing and make a deal with them, makes a deal with them, thinking he'll be all right. But it proved disastrous. And uh, you read on through the scriptures and you see that God had promised to be with, Ab- uh, with Ahaz, but he didn't believe it, and he lived as if he wasn't. And then we fast forward 700 years to this passage in Matthew that we read, and to the birth of Jesus. And it's the same message, God is with you, God is with us. There's a baby that's born in the most unusual circumstances. Mary has become pregnant, although she'd had no sexual union. What does Joseph do? And, uh, you know, does he put her away, as it were? And, you know, what does he do? But the Lord appears to Joseph, appears in a dream, and he has three things to say to him. Firstly, he says this baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, He tells them that his name will be Jesus. And thirdly, he tells them that this Jesus is going to save people from their sin. And then there's this comment. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child 
and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So all this takes place in the fulfillment of what God has promised. He's saying God is with us. God is here. God has come. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that that God has come in the flesh and come to this world and is with us. And then we can fast forward another 2,000 years or so to today. Here we are in the 21st century. And the message is still the same this morning, that God is with us. And we need to ask ourselves, do we believe it? Do we live as we believe it? Or can we be like Ahaz and refusing to believe it, as it were, or making our allegiances elsewhere and trusting in other things? And what I want to do into the remainder of our time together this morning is think about this name, Emmanuel, and look at two things which it tells us. There's a number of sub-points within those two things it tells us, but you'll see the main points there in the notes. Two things that it tells us, very simple, really, but very profound in what it has to say to us. Firstly, this name Emmanuel, it tells us that Jesus is the man who is God. Jesus is the man who is God. That is remarkable. We cannot understand that. This baby, born around 2,000 years ago in an outhouse somewhere in the back streets of Bethlehem, as it were, is God in a body. This Jesus is the God-man. Totally man, yet totally God. And that's what it says. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, we don't just have to take this uh, one verse to uh, understand that and see that, because here are four things that show us that he is God from, from the Gospels when you read through them. Time and time again, we see that this man is God himself. So four things. Firstly, he claimed to be God. If I stood up this morning and said, my name is Emmanuel and I am God with you. And I said, no, I am. You would, you'd either think I'm deluded or crazy or whatever. That just doesn't happen. But here is Jesus. He appears on the scene and then at the age of 30 starts to teach and to preach and so on and do all these things. And what does he do? He stands in front of the Jewish people who are waiting for a Messiah and he says to them, I am God. In John chapter 10, I and my father are one. That was asking for trouble. But yet that's what he did. He claimed to be God. Not only did he claim to be God, he was identified as God by others. It's one thing to say that about yourself, but it's another thing when other people say it about him. And when you read through the Gospels, you find different people at different times proclaiming that this is the, this is God, this is the Son of God. And when you read the Son of God, that phrase in the New Testament, it it basically means God himself. And and many other people proclaiming that he is God. People like John the Baptist and Nathaniel and Peter and Martha and Thomas and John. 
all declaring that this Jesus is none other than God himself. Even at the cross, as the centurion was there at the cross and saw him hanging on the cross, he said, truly, surely, this man was the son of God. He was claimed to be God. He was identified God. But not only that, he demonstrated that he was God as well. When you read through the Gospels, they're full of miracles. And they're demonstrating who he is. They, they authenticate who he is. Very often we have to do two-step verification. And I know when I go on my computer and I want to get into the bank or another account, you put the details in and your password and all of it. You think that's it. And then it says, we've sent you a text, your phone. You have to go and find your phone. Two-step verification because two ways to make sure that this is true. But if you're like here, we've got four-step verification. He claimed to be God. He's identified as God. The miracles demonstrate that he is God. And I think that is the the main purpose of the miracles to show us that this man is God, the one who has power to provide. With a a, a group of about 5,000 people just taking a few loaves and fish and feeding 5,000. The one who has power over nature as he uh, uh, is in the boat with the disciples and he stands up and he says, peace, be still. The one who made all things has power over all things, demonstrating that he is God. Standing at the side of a grave and says, Lazarus, come forth. Power over death, demonstrating that he is God. He claimed to be God. He was identified as God. He demonstrated he was God. And then he was worshipped as God as well. When you look in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. He's worshipped as God. There's another time in the Gospels when, in John chapter 9, Jesus heals this blind man. He's been blind from birth. Jesus heals him, and there's quite a lot of description about what goes on. But then in chapter 10, when this man realises who Jesus is, it says he worships him. And then there's another time. The disciples were in the boat on another time, and uh, there's a, uh, it's a bit rough, and uh, there's waves on the sea, and Jesus comes walking to them and uh, on the sea, and they're frightened, and that incident where Peter walks on the water as well. And then eventually, well, they're terrified, but eventually Jesus calms that storm as well. And when you get to the end of the count, that account, it says they worshipped him. They worshipped him. He claimed to be God, identified as God, demonstrated he was God and was worshipped as God. This name, Emmanuel, tells us that Jesus is none other than the man who is God. And then secondly, this morning, it tells us that this Jesus, who is, is the God who is with us. He is the God who is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's a wonderful truth this morning, to know that God is with us. And I've got seven ways here that God is with us. And the first one's a bit longer, so bear with me. Okay, the first one's a bit longer. Seven ways which God is with us this morning. Firstly, he's with us in salvation. 
I, uh, I was looking last night and uh, I found 15 times where Jesus is described as saviour. He's with us in salvation. 15 times described as saviour. His name means saviour. His job title, his job description, what he does is saves people from their sin. Across the centuries, for over 2,000 years, people are being saved through trusting in Christ. Across the world, people from all nations saved by trusting in Christ. And he's still doing it today in the 21st century. He's with us in salvation. And he doesn't just save us from a difficult life. Look at some of the things that he saves us from. He saves us from the wrath of God. You see, what we deserve for our sin and the wrong that we've done and the mess that we've made of our lives is God's wrath and God's punishment. But he saves us from that. Romans 5, it says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? One day we will all have to stand before him and give account of our lives. And the only safe place to be is trusting in Christ. He saves us from the wrath of God. He saves us from sin. He forgives our sin. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's what Acts 10 verse 43 said, and the prophet spoke about that. Everyone who believes in him and trusts in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's a wonderful thing this morning, to know that we are saved from our sin, that we are forgiven. He forgives our sins. He cleanses us from the effects of our sin. He frees us from the power of sin. Romans 6 speaks about sin, no more having dominion or power over us. Through Jesus, we're set free. He saves us from from sin. He saves us from Satan. We're no longer under his rule. We've been rescued. Colossians 1, it says this, verse 13, we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. We're no longer part of Satan's kingdom. We've been rescued and set free and saved from his dominion and are now part of the kingdom of light. What a wonderful thing this morning to know that if you're trusting in Christ, but only if you're trusting in Christ, is you're part of that kingdom of light. He saves us from the wrath of God. He saves us from sin. He saves us from Satan. He saves us from death. Hebrews 2 tells us he saves us from the fear of death, but he saves us from death itself. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that death has been swallowed up in victory. It's gone. It is no more. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? It's gone. If we're trusting in Christ, if we're saved by him. He's the God who is with us in salvation. Are you saved? Are you trusting in Christ? Have you turned from sin? Jesus is a wonderful saviour. 
And if you repent and come to him and turn from sin, call out to him, he will save you and forgive you and bless you and change you and keep you. Have you ever trusted in him? The God who is with us in salvation. And then when we are trusting him, when we are saved, then we can know and enjoy all these other ways that God is with us. So that was the first one. He's with us in salvation. Secondly, he is with us in life. When we're saved, he doesn't just leave us to get on with it. It's not like, uh, I don't know, a lifeguarder jumping in the pool and rescuing from somebody from the bottom of the pool, which I actually had to see done once at the pool at Loughborough. Uh, don't just get him out on the side and leave him there and go off. That's not what Jesus does. When he saves us, he continues with us. He doesn't just leave us to get on with it by ourselves, as it were. In John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am with you. And he sends his spirit. Romans 8 says, nothing separates us from the love of God, from God himself. He is with us. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? God with us. He's with us in life. And then thirdly, he's with us in our trials. And they do come. And many of you know that and have experienced that. And things aren't easy. But In God's word, we read this. Uh, wonderful truths time and time again and uh, here's one Isaiah 43 when you pass through the waters I am with you and whatever those waters might be the trials of the life trials of life God says I am with you do you know him with you at this time are you going through trials when you're trusting in Christ you can know God with you and God helping you with us in salvation, with us in life, with us in our trials, with us in our sorrows, in our disappointments, in our losses, in our sadness, in our grief. Isaiah 53, it says, he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. 2 Corinthians 1 says that he is the the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort with us in our sorrows. Do you know him? Have you come to him? Are you enjoying his comfort? doesn't mean everything will be easy, but we can know God with us in these things, with us in trials and with us in our sorrows. And then fifthly, he's with us in our service as well for the Lord. I often think, why are we saved? Why doesn't, why aren't we stay, taken straight to heaven to be with Christ? And I think one of the main reasons is to, to make him known to others, to go out with this good news of Jesus, uh, uh, serving him, uh, being a blessing to others, but taking Christ to a broken world as well. And when you get to the end of Matthew's gospel, he tells his followers to go out and proclaim Jesus, to tell the world about him, and he promises to be with you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. 
you find it difficult inviting people to the carol service or giving people a book or a, a little Christian leaflet or, or, or whatever it is, talking to people about Jesus? I do. I don't find it easy. But does, God does promise to be with us as we try with his, his help to do that. We don't have to feel it's easy. We can feel it's hard. That's fine. But we can know that God is with us as we seek to make him known as we serve him. And then sixthly, he's the God who is with us in death. Do you fear death? I think about it at times and uh, I know I'll go and be with Christ, which is far better. But that process of dying, I just don't know what that's going to, we've no idea what that's going to be like. The psalmist in Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So although we don't know what will happen and how it will be for us, if we're trusting in Christ, we have this wonderful assurance that God is with us, even in death. And then finally this morning, he will be with us in eternity, through death into eternity. Let me read some verses from Revelation 21, speaking about the new Jerusalem. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will with, live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He will be with us in eternity, through death into eternity. He will be with us, but we will be with him. Nothing else can save us. There's no other name under heaven where we can be saved and with God. The government can't do it. Our qualifications can't do it. Our career can't do it. Our pension can't do it. Our friends can't do it. Our family can't do it. You can't do it. Only Jesus. Only Emmanuel. God with us. Nothing else and no one else will be with us through whatever we go through in our lives. Only Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us.